0: Well, good evening, everyone. So nice to have you all with us on a Wednesday in between Christmas and New Year. Right smack dab in the middle. Good to have you with us. I really don't know any other good place to be. I think uh, being in a place where we can worship the Lord together, where we can have fellowship one with another, and, and where we can learn. <clears throat> of God's mercies and grace as well as all of the things that are actually taking place around us today I uh I was asked uh via text this afternoon uh what my, what my title was going to be so I could put it on the the uh, I guess in the website or uh, Facebook or whatever. Uh, And I said, well, we're gonna be in Ezekiel 26. I said, but with everything that's going on with Israel and and, uh, the United Nations and the United States and the current administration, I, I may have to jump into it. But see, I'm waiting, I'm trying to save that for this weekend. As a part of our prophetic update for the year as we look into the year 2017 So I, I'll have to say that I'm, I'm really restraining myself but uh, there's a lot going on in the world and and um, And and I really want to encourage you as, I'm, as I'll encourage everyone on, on Saturday night and Sunday <clears throat> that we need to stay really current with what's going on in the world and then look what the Word of God is saying about the times in which we're living because there are things happening that uh, are going to affect us in the very near future even as a nation that you know some people say well where's United States mentioned in prophecy we don't have to be mentioned in prophecy to be a part of what's going on in the end time and the reason is because of the nation of Israel it all depends on where you stand as a nation with the nation of Israel. And if you don't stand with Israel, I know this may sound obvious, but you stand against them. And any kind of vote in, a, in the United Nations of, of absentia, or abstaining, I should say, is a vote against. So that is clearly drawing a line in the sand. But you're not drawing a line in the sand against a people, you're drawing a line in the sand against the God of those people. That's what's happening. So it's time that our young people start waking up to these things. I have to be honest with you, I think we've babied them too much in the church. It's time it's time to quit babying our kids and start teaching them the word of God about what's happening in these days and in these times because if the Lord tarries they're going to see greater things greater in the sense of they could be worse things or they could be you know just the coming of the Lord Jesus but you got to be ready about, you got to be ready for it you got to be ready so Folks, it's time that our children realize these things as well. And the reason I can say that without, without, um, without apology is when I see the pictures of children being wounded and killed in Aleppo, in Syria, in the Middle East. Uh, because of terrorism, or because of this war, or because of ISIS. And yes, we want to protect our children. But let's not protect them from the things that will help them eternally, that will help them spiritually, that will help them biblically. And, And I think that we as a church, and I say that as the body of Christ, overall need to wake up to these things if you want to know my feeling we've entertained our kids too much and folks i will i will be criticized people will tell me well you don't even have kids yourself it's all right i can take it i've been a pastor for over 32 years i can take it I'm telling you what's on my heart from the Spirit of God and the Word of God to you. So I'm thankful for the young people that are in this room today. There should be more. But I'm glad that they're where they are, too, if they're in in youth ministry and they're getting the Word of God here. Praise the Lord for that. But For those that are here, it's time to wake up, kids, because Jesus is coming. and We want you to know the blessing of that. That's a blessing, okay? Some people in El Paso are saying Elton John's coming, because he's coming to El Paso sometime March, I think, or something, or May, whatever. You know, or somebody's coming. Some whatever bands there are out there going places. I don't care. Jesus is coming. That matters more than anything than anything. And we're responsible as parents, as adults, responsible to show the life of Christ in our lives, the love of Jesus, the mercies and the grace of God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, would you please keep uh, Rita Garcia in your prayers? Re- Rita is Marissa Hernandez's mother, and she's been in hospice now for a few weeks, maybe a couple of months. And uh, she called me while we were up here practicing before the service. I saw her name on my phone, so I took the call, and and, uh, she says it's getting really close. It's uh, really... uh, She's going through a lot of pain. It's, it's really a lot of suffering that she's going through. Her mom is. And so uh, she asked if we would keep her in prayer. So would you join me in a word of prayer for, for her mom? Our Father, we thank you for your wonder-working power for the very fact that we can come to you for every need that we have in this life. And I thank you, Lord, for uh, the life that you have given uh, to uh, Rita Garcia who uh, today is being uh, tended to Lord God uh, by her family uh, and, and certainly Lord there, there, there's a lot of sadness in their hearts to see her suffering the way she is and I know that most of them are praying that you would just take her home and Lord those are the times when we when we realize how how blessed it is to know that no matter what condition we are in if we know jesus if we are in love with you in love with who you are and what you are and what you've done and what you're doing lord that no matter what happens to us that lord when that moment comes that we'll be with you and that's what i know their prayer is for for their mom and so today we lift her up to you we ask father for for your kindness, Lord, your, your mercies to, to just heal her, Lord, completely now in, in the sense of, of drawing her into your arms and into your heart. But whatever you choose to do, Lord God, I know it will be the best thing for her. And we ask you, Lord God, today to bless the family and encourage them and strengthen them in the struggles that they're going through as they see this, this person who they love very much uh, suffering the way that she's doing. We just ask you, Lord God, to have your way with, with her and, and with your family, Lord, tonight and this moment. And Lord, as you give her strength, give her also healing and give her, uh, and give her Lord, just the release from the pain. And, and just allow her, Lord God, the, the blessing of your, of your touch, the blessing of your Holy Spirit in her life tonight. And we ask all of this tonight in Jesus' name amen amen let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 26 with all this uh, with all this talk about what is yet to come what we're aiming toward in our study of the book of Ezekiel is just down the road and in, uh, in about ten ten or eleven chapters uh, that is connected to what I was talking about earlier about about what's happening with Israel today in the in the United Nations and in the eyes of the world, and uh, especially with what we are doing as 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 the United States of America in in uh, uh, actually uh, not supporting the the only true friend we have in in the Middle East. But uh, with all that in mind, we we have to remember that we're as we're studying the Word of God that but the focus and the attention are really upon Israel and Judah and the reason why the Lord has to judge them uh, because he has uh, given them every opportunity to repent and to come to him, but uh, they chose to to turn away, so they they went into captivity. The northern kingdom of of Israel went into captivity in in Assyria, the southern kingdom in Babylon. And so now with with all of that being done, in a sense, because now uh, Babylon or the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar have finally attacked or is finally attacking uh, uh, Jerusalem, and uh, it it was happening at that time that as soon as that happens, God begins to bring the judgments to Ezekiel to give to the children of of Judah in captivity— The judgment of the nations. God's going to judge the nations, especially the nations that God has had to use down through the years to awaken Israel, to judge Israel. But he's going to judge them for their treatment of Israel. So what we saw last time was was judgments on Moab and Ammon and and Edom. And tonight uh, we're going to focus our attention on Tyre, T-Y-R-E. Uh, Verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, because that Tyrus, or Tyre, hath said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken, that was the gates of the people, she is turned unto me. In other words, whatever is now left in Jerusalem, it's for our taking. Uh, I shall be replenished, now she is laid waste. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Tyrus, and will cause many nations to come up against thee as the sea causes his waves to come up. So as I said, chapter 25 began with a series of studies, uh, or began a series of studies, I should say, on the judgments of various nations, primarily Ammon, or the Ammonites, uh, Moab, or the Moabites, and Edom, or the Edomites. And these nations which were the immediate neighbors of Judah and even racially connected with Israel as a whole, yet they were hardened enemies of the Jews. The Philistines or Philistia were also singled out as a nation to be judged by the Lord. That was in our last chapter. Uh, But all four nations are judged by the Lord for the vengeful rejoicing at Judah's and Jerusalem's destruction at the hands of the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, who, by the way, subdued the Philistines when Nebuchadnezzar took Judah, and four years later, invaded Ammon, Moab, and Edom." So the very nations that were laughing at, at, uh, at Israel and Judah were now suffering because they were being judged by God through the very same uh, instrument, which was Babylon and uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But now, as we enter into chapter 26, visions of the doom of Tyre. And and by the way, let me just stop here for just a second just to say this as a blanket statement about the days and times in which we live. God is still going to judge nations. All right, just understand that. Part of the end time judgments will be upon nations. So what you have seen before in the scriptures, you will see again. There will be those uh, near fulfillments and there will be the far fulfillments. So judgments are going to come on nations again. All right, so as we enter into chapter 26 now, visions of the doom of Tyre were given to Ezekiel in the same year that Jerusalem fell. And that was also the, the same year that, uh, uh, the, that Zedekiah, uh, the, the king, fell. Uh, that was his 11th year, and it was the, the 11th year when Jerusalem and Judah were destroyed. So the judgments of Tyre will cover three chapters. We will cover chapter 26, 27, and, ch- and, and 28, all about Tyre. But chapter 26 is going to cover the destruction of Tyre. Uh, chapter 27 will cover the lamentation over Tyre. In other words, the weeping over, uh, over their destruction. And chapter 28 will focus on the fall of the prince of Tyre and the king of Tyre, which is a very interesting chapter uh, so in a few weeks we're going to be in in chapter 28, and I don't know how long we'll be in it. You know, it could be one week, two weeks, could be three weeks, but it, it is a very significant chapter because of the the uh, uh, connection between the prince of Tyre or the king of Tyre and uh, the uh, uh, Satan himself. Uh, so so it's a really an, an important study. But if we could outline the sin or the sins of Tyre we could begin by pointing out her rejoicing over the destruction of Jerusalem, but not so much because Tyre hated the Jews as the other nations did, but because of greed and pride. They are being judged more because of greed and because of their pride than they are of any kind of vengeful uh, uh, acts. Uh, Tyre was about 40 miles north of the borders of Israel in what is today modern Lebanon, it is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, Tyre was a city-state or a city-nation and acted as the capital of the Phoenician Empire. When you hear the word Phoenician or Phoenicians or Phoenicia, you, you have this picture, if you studied world history, of a nation that was very uh, 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 maritime. You know, they, they were really into into seagoing vessels and, they, you know, they came... Actually, from the areas of, of, uh, of Crete and, and Greece and all, and the, or the islands, actually. And out of that came this, this seafaring uh, people. And this is what they were in Tyre, because as a seaside city, it actually had two parts to it. One part was on the mainland, and another part was located on an island about half a mile off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So Tyre was known for its ships. Just like Phoenici- the Phoenicians were known for their, for their ships and being that it was a sea-based society uh, because they were Phoenicians. In, in modern Lebanon today, there is a fishing village called Sour S-U-R, S-U-R uh, but it comes, the word Sour comes from the root word for tire. It is the word T-S-O-R, Sour, and it's the root word for tire and uh, there is this, vi- this village actually near the ruins of Tyre, and it's a fishing village uh, population of about 20,000 people. And uh, again, I sa- as I said, it's close to the ancient site, but since 1947, uh, there have been extensive archeological exploration with many open air sites. Tyre was also known for the production of a rare and very expensive purple dye, Uh, produced from the murex shellfish, known as Tyrian purple. The color was reserved for the use of royalty and nobility. And so commerce played a large part in the economic picture of, of Tyre. Now, in the time of Ezekiel, going back to that time, Tyre was dominating the sea routes. But as they transported goods by caravan through Judah to Egypt, they would be taxed, and they didn't like getting taxed, especially by by the Jews. And uh, so Jerusalem, in a sense, was the gateway to the south and a gateway to Egypt. But now, after Babylon has now destroyed them, that is is no longer the case. Uh, They could transport lots of goods southward without being taxed. And and uh, they would enabled them to make lots of money now that Jerusalem was out of the picture. It was out of the way. So they really liked that. That was one of the reasons why they rejoiced. Because now they had free passage through the land without anybody taking their money. For whatever reason. And it is because of that attitude that the Lord was going to wipe them out as the sea covered the land. As our text has, has stated there, especially in verse... In verse 3, I will cause many nations to come up against thee as the sea causes his waves to come up. But now as we did in our last study, let's ask ourselves the question, how does all of this apply to us? Because there's a lot of, there are a lot of applications. You know, last week we were dealing with the application of, of, of having you know, vengeance in our heart or having hatred in our hearts toward others. And, and, you know, the scriptures tell us as believers in Jesus Christ, well, we're not to have those things in our hearts. We're to be different. We're to be different kinds of people. So how does this apply to us? Do we rejoice over the fall of others so that we may gain things? If if somebody gets hurt and we benefit from it, do we rejoice over over their hurt or whatever? It comes down to the attitude of covetousness. It comes down to something that is a sin in the scriptures. Covetousness. Covetousness is an insatiable desire for worldly gain. To covet, to have, to want to have what others have or to want to have what everybody has. You know, we don't want to be left out of the picture. We want, you know, we see something, I want that. We see this, we want that. And even even the commandments of the Lord, a couple of times deals with covetousness in personal relationship as well as in material relationships. And covetousness is, is, a, is a dreadful sin before God. And that by any other name, it is greed. It is just greed. And it isn't a good thing. Greed is not a good thing. Covetousness is not a good thing. And it is never from God and it is never of God that any of us would ever have that kind of a heart. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes to us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. And he says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Now to mortify means to put to death. Put to death these members which are upon the earth. And more specifically, members that are upon your, your life or your body as it were. He says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. Mortify it. If fornication is a problem in your life, you've got to, you've got to kill it uncleanness, inordinate affection, or inordinate passions, evil concupiscence, which is just evil desires, deep-rooted sexual types of desires. And then notice the last one, and covetousness which is idolatry. Covetousness which is idolatry. Notice how Paul links covetousness and the desire for things as idolatry because what most people do is the things that they desire the most, they make gods out of them. They make gods out of things. And then Paul goes on and says, For which thing's sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So those who 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 are just completely carnal in all of their ways, well they're going to be, they're the children of disobedience, they're not obeying the word of God, and they're going to have to suffer the wrath of God, which is the judgment of God, in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them." So he's saying to to the church in Colossae, he's saying, listen, you were once this way, but something changed in your life. You're a new creature in Christ. The old things in your life have passed away. As a matter of fact, if you look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're not gonna go there, but if you look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, when he says that, The old things have passed away. There's another terminology that's given, or another term, I should say, that's given concerning death. The old things are passed away because you've mortified them. Paul to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, the same message that he gave to the Colossian church. Fornication, uncleanness, or covetousness—let it not be once named among you as becoming saved, as becometh saints. It should never be mentioned of you that you are covetous people, or that you're fornicators, or that you're unclean in any way. And these are these are some of the these are some of the biggest problems in the church today. And and quite simply because of all of the things that we see all around us. Uh, the TV, movies, the internet, you know you could go on down the line with all of these uh, presenters to the mind and to the heart. Then he goes on and says neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient which means they're not they're, they're not good for us but rather giving thanks. If we spend more time giving thanks to God for the things that we have for the things that He's blessed us with, for the things that we that you know we, we that give us a, a simple life and a simple testimony, a simple witness for Christ, and we thank God for these things. I mean, that's a much better use of our time than all of these other things: foolish talking, filthiness, uh, jesting, fooling around. For this, you know, He says in verse five that no whoremonger nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. Notice again the connection between covetousness and idolatry. Nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's a real heart checker. You've got to really check your heart on that one. If he's, if he's telling the church, listen, if anyone is, is, is this, he has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So it is for this attitude then that the Lord was going to bring many nations against Tyre and the successive attacks of these nations would be like the rolling waves of the sea bombarding the seashore one after the other. And we pick up in verse four of our text in Ezekiel 26 where it says, and they shall destroy the walls of Tyrus and break down her towers I will scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken, it saith the Lord God. A place for the spreading of nets means that it's, it's a place that's just been leveled. And it shall become a spoil, it says. I have spoken to say the Lord God, and it shall become a spoil to the nations. And her daughters, which are in the field, shall be slain by the sword. Which means the people that are coming to judge are ruthless people. And they shall know that I am the Lord. Do you remember that little, little uh, uh, formula we had? Because you've done this, therefore these things are going to happen and you will know that I am the Lord. There it is again for Tyre. So it is quite interesting and significant that only a few years after this prophecy was spoken, around uh, the years 588 or 587 B.C., that King Nebuchadnezzar and and the Babylonians came down and for some reason they turned from going to Egypt and they headed toward Tyre. I don't know if you remember back when we studied uh, Ezekiel 21, we talked about the fork in the road. When you get to the fork in the road, take it, right? Yogi Berra. Well, they got to the fork in the road, and they were going to go in one direction, but instead of going there, they headed toward Tyre instead. Instead of going south to Egypt, they went to Tyre. And the problem the Babylonians encountered was that the people of Tyre were stronger than they thought. Now remember, this is a city-state. Now, when it mentions the walls, that means they were strong walls. So, here's a, here's a city-state, and, and yet they were strong enough to withhold the Babylonians, in fact, for 13 years. Now, that's incredible. Tyre held off the Babylonians for 13 years. And this is actually described for us in the next passage in in, in Ezekiel 26, verse 7. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyrus Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, remember, this is prophecy, so it is about to happen, but now it is being stated very clearly who the weapon is that God is using for judgment. And he says, I will bring upon Tyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a king of kings from the north with horses and with chariots and with horsemen and companies and much people. He shall slay with the sword thy daughters in the field and he shall make a fort against thee and cast a mount against thee and lift up the buckler against thee. So they're coming, they're making a fort, they're they're making a, a... a, a wall to build and, and to bring up to the walls so they can come and, and and attack them just as they did in Jerusalem they cast a mount which means that they're building up this this uh, this kind of uh, uh, wall or actually a, a a way to like a almost like a road that goes up to the walls and he shall set engines of war against thy walls and with his axes he shall break down by towers and uh, I want to I want to make note of something okay when we said when we first started it said they and then it says he so it's he. now now we look at the, the the pronouns he shall set so we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar because he's named here right he's named here so by reason of the abundance of his horses I'm sorry, verse 9, He shall set en- uh, engines of war against thy walls, and with his axes he shall break down thy towers. Verse 10, By reason of the abundance of his horses, their dust shall cover thee. Thy walls shall shake at the noise of the horsemen, and of the wheels, and of the chariots, when he shall enter into thy gates, as men enter into a city wherein is made a breach. And with the hooves of his horses shall he tread down all thy streets. He shall slay the people by the sword. And thy strong garrison shall go down to the ground. Again, take note of the pronoun he. Now let's stop here for just a moment. In 1952, a college professor, a college science professor named Peter Stoner, wrote a book entitled Science Speaks which he later updated in 1963 and in 1969. But in this book, Professor Stoner defended various Bible prophecies in regards to their odds of fulfillment. He examined prophecies concerning biblical cities or places such as Tyre, Samaria, Ashkelon, Jerusalem, Moab, Ammon, and others. But concerning Tyre and the Tyre prophecy that we just read, this is what he wrote. Now, I'm gonna skip all of the technical, statistical stuff that he did, because that's in the book. But what he says this, and I quote, "'What chance did Ezekiel have of knowing that Nebuchadnezzar would, in his conquering of Tyre, not completely fulfill the prophecy of destruction, but other nations would later come in and complete the fulfillment. The indications in the time of Ezekiel certainly were that when Nebuchadnezzar took a city, he was quite capable of completing, of completing the destruction himself. So the estimate was placed at one in five. Now again, I'm not going into the the details because you have to read the book and we, we don't have time to do that. And then I want to explain that it was, it was uh, it was actually supported by other scientists, so I'm just filling in the gaps there as best as I can. He goes on and says, What chance did Ezekiel have of knowing that Tyre would be made flat like the top of a rock after it was conquered? How many cities have been made flat like the top of a rock after being conquered? That's a good question to ask because, you know, when, when cities are conquered, they just they just build up all of the stuff of, of the city. In, in fact, if you go to Israel and, and, you, and you tour Israel, you, you, go, you see these mounds and they call them tells. And the tells is, is, is just the buildup of all of these conquered cities, you know, and all of their rubble is just built up and then dirt is covered over them in time and then these mountains are built up. So the question is a very a valid one. What chance did Ezekiel have of knowing that Tyre would be made flat like the top of a rock because that was the prophecy after it was conquered. How many cities have been made flat like the top of a rock after being conquered? The sites of nearly all ancient cities are marked by mounds of accumulated debris. I do not know of any other city where the ruins have been so completely cleared away so that the estimate of one in 500 was chosen. And again, there's reason for his numbering. So we get to now this, this, this way of figuring all of this out. The chance, he said then, of Ezekiel writing this prophecy from his own knowledge and having it all come true is 1 times 3 times 5 times 500 times 10 times 10 times 5 times 20. And this is 1 in 75 million. 1 in 75 million that Ezekiel would, would have known, uh, you know, that it would have come true. One in seventy-five million. There are other uh, um, calculations that he made that overall it was one in four hundred million of the, of the chance that uh, he would have known these things to have come true. So may I just say that the book was reviewed by the American Scientific Affiliation who found, and I quote from the foreword of the book, the mathematical analysis is based upon principles of probability which are thoroughly sound and Professor Stoner has applied these principles in a proper and convincing way. So if you, if you want to see how Professor Stoner arrived at his figure, it's easy, you know, the book is found online or you can obtain a print copy. Uh, it's called Science Speaks and just remember stoner that's his name If you want to look it up but but you see it's this kind of stuff you know Bible critics are are driven crazy by this kind of research and this kind of accuracy in its conclusion because they just can't understand how this can be that Ezekiel receives a prophecy at this time and every part of that prophecy is fulfilled every part of that prophecy is fulfilled just like the prophecies of the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, of the birth of Jesus to a virgin, of the birth of Jesus uh, at a time when, when uh, the census was being taken in Rome, and all of the things from the Old Testament fit into the New Testament or, or vice versa. And, and, and the, the probability of all of this as far as the research of it, it, it all is, is staggering that even one of those prophecies would come true or come to pass. The fact of the matter is all of them came to pass. And so did these here. So they just can't understand how, the, how this can happen. But for the believer in Jesus Christ who believes the word of God and that God is omniscient or all-knowing, and therefore this is nothing, for, this is nothing, uh, it's nothing too hard for him to do. It's, it's, not, it's not hard at all. So then it's easy for us to believe if we have faith in God. If we have faith in in the word of God. As it says in Isaiah 42 verses 8 through 10, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. That's exactly what was happening here. Before they happened, he gave the prophecy to Ezekiel. Verse 10, sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth. You that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. That's kind of an appropriate thing for those who go down to the sea as it was for Tyre. Or Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8, where it says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who, as I shall call and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. It's not a God like the God that we know. There's not a God like the God that we have. There's not a God like the God who made us in the image of God. Made us with, his, with, with, with a mind to think, with, a, with, with the things and the capacities that we have to do uh, physically in, in this life. And yet God has given us more than that. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. And all of his word is true to, to, the, to, the, to the very letter, to the letter of the law. Every T is crossed, every I is dotted. So, to examine this prediction properly in light of the historical events, let's also add the next three verses because these are important here. It says, And they shall make a spoil of thy riches, and make a prey of thy merchandise. And they shall break down thy walls and destroy thy pleasant houses, and they shall lay thy stones and thy timber and thy dust in the midst of the water. Now, what's the context? It's still Babylon. And I will cause the noise of thy songs to cease, and the sound of thy harps shall be no more heard. And I will make thee like the top of a rock. Thou shalt be a place to spread nets upon. Thou shalt be built no more, for I, the Lord, have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And so in in verses 7 to 11, the subject bringing judgment to Tyre was described by the pronoun he, and clearly, as the text mentioned, referred to Nebuchadnezzar. But in the next section, you notice a change in pronouns to they, right? And after the people of Tyre had held on those 13 years against the Babylonians, the walls were eventually breached. And to the surprise of the invading army, now listen to this, Historically, this is historic, to the surprise of the invading army, after those 13 years, they only found a few soldiers remaining in the city as decoys. This is in mainland Tyre. History records that over a period of time, the people and their possessions were moved out of Tyre and onto the island that was a half mile offshore. Remember, there was... Tyre was both mainland and an island the people and the wealth were gone from the mainland for 13 years of battle now this, this is incredible for 13 years of battle the Babylonians got nothing in return so they destroyed the city the buildings the structures and the soldiers who remained but that was it so as you read these verses You see that in this judgment, the Lord Lord says twice that tire would be flattened. You got that, right? They caused a flat tire. I'm just just checking to make sure you're still here. But they're not going to be spared. No spare tire. But I have to tell you, that was not fulfilled by Nebuchadnezzar. It was fulfilled by Alexander the Great 243 years later. And that's no joke. The they, in, in verses 12 on there, the 14, I, I may have confused you earlier, but the they is in, in 12 to 14, where the conquered nations that Alexander would put in his own military as slaves and use them to defeat Tyre. Now remember, remember that it is nations that would come, waves of nations that would come to destroy Tyre. He took the rubble of mainland Tyre. This is Alexander now. He took the rubble of mainland Tyre and built a causeway out to the island of Tyre. And that is how he conquered it, 243 years later. The they would be added to many years later as Tyre was rebuilt as a city once again as a Muslim city. In 1290 AD, the crusaders from France, England, and Germany defeated the Muslims and made Tyre a crusader city. The Muslims would later take it back. So it kept being destroyed. So the Muslims would later take it back, and today it's that small fishing village, flat as a rock, to lay out their fishing nets to dry, just as the scripture says. Amazing prophecies in the word of God. Verse 15, it says, Thus saith the Lord God to Tyrus, Shall not the isles shake at the sound of thy fall? when the wounded cry, when the slaughter is made in the midst of Thee, then all the princes of the sea shall come down from their thrones and lay away their robes and put off their broidered garments. They shall clothe themselves with trembling. They shall sit upon the ground and shall tremble at every moment and be astonished at Thee. And they shall take up a lamentation for Thee and say to Thee, How art Thou destroyed? that was inhabited of seafaring men, the renowned city which was strong in the sea, she and her inhabitants, which caused their terror to be on all that haunt it. Now shall the isles tremble in the day of thy fall, yea, the isles that are in the sea shall be troubled at thy departure. In this passage, we see the coastal neighbors of Tyre Those who depended upon Tyre for their trade and for their commerce, mourning over the destruction of this city. These people will sit in mourning over what was lost, their wealth and their resources. They needed Tyre, you see. Listen, they needed Tyre for their own personal gain. But now it was gone. And they were lamenting over this. Now even as believers, we at times place our hope in money, jobs, people, toys, programs, things in general, and when they are taken away or they fail, what happens? We mourn. We may even wonder why we respond like that. Because we look to them to be the source of our happiness, all of those things. We look to those things as the source of happiness instead of having joy in the Lord. Instead of having simple, pure joy in the Lord. The Apostle, the Apostle John put it wonderfully, I believe, in 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4, when he said, That which was from the beginning which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Who is he describing? Jesus. Almost like the beginning of John, the gospel. In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, even as of the glory of the only begotten Son of God. Then he goes on in verse two and says, "For the life was manifested, and we've seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us." What, what is he saying now? He's taking this is Jesus' life, everlasting. The Messiah has come. Verse three: that that which <clears throat> that which we have seen and heard, <clears throat> declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And notice verse 4. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. We write these things about Jesus unto you so that your joy may be full. The very joy, that very joy is found As we are in fellowship with the Lord. You want joy? Then be in fellowship with Jesus. That's a pretty simple thing. But not always easy to accomplish. There are a lot of distractions in life. There are a lot of things telling us to go this direction, go that direction, go here, go there, go everywhere. But where's Jesus in all of it? Where are we putting Jesus in our lives? When does he come into our life in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening? When does he come in? Or are we thinking that he only comes in when we come to church? There are some people who have that that mentality that, you know, you you really only meet Jesus when you meet him in church. I'm not talking about sacristies and all kinds of other stuff. I'm just saying, you know, people... Think that you go to church and all of a sudden you're a different person. I think I've said this many times and a lot of people have said it, you know. You don't go into a church, you know, going into a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes your car. So the very joy that is found, that this joy that John speaks of is found when we're in fellowship with Jesus Christ himself. Anything else, anything else that we look to, we will eventually be disappointed in. But in the Lord, the one who is faithful and true, the joy he gives to us is unchanging and it's a constant in our lives. It needs to be a constant anyway. Joy is unchanging. I mean, think about it. I mean, when when Paul says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there are three virtues, uh, you know, there are these three things, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is is love. You know, these are are virtues of of, of great joy to our hearts, faith, hope, and love. Then we read about then we read about the, the fruit of the spirit when Paul gives it to us in Galatians chapter five. And and what does he say? He says the fruit of the spirit is love. And what's the second one? Joy. And many people have oftentimes said, you know, that 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 love is, is that skin of, of, of the fruit that holds it all together. But the next one has to be as, 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 as important, that's joy, the joy of the Lord. When the children of Israel had, had come back into, into Jerusalem, when, when uh, you know, led by um, Zerubbabel and, and Ezra and Nehemiah, and they, they stood together after the walls were built and they heard the word of God and they wept over it. They wept over, over the very fact that their hearts were so heavy because of, the, because of, of all of the things they had done to, to, to have taken them into captivity and, and all. And yet now here they were hearing the word of God like they'd never heard it before. And they're told, you know, don't weep. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So joy is a lot different than, than the things of, of this, this world that only can bring temporary happiness. It's okay to be happy. In fact, read the Psalms at the very beginning. You know, uh, blessed is a, is a man. The word blessed in the Hebrew is is, is the, really the word for, for happiness. It's there's a joy involved it's a happiness as well. so that that joy that he gives us is unchanging, and it is, it is to be a constant in our life. But I will tell you this: you choose to to be joyful. What are we choosing in in life? I, I thought about that today and it, it took me immediately to the to the statement made by by Joshua near the end of his life to the children of Israel when he, when he said in Joshua 24 verses 14 and 15, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord, he says. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve talk about a line in the sand there's a line choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord that's a choice as for me and my house we will serve the Lord but we need to close out this chapter So look at verse 19 now of Ezekiel 26, For thus saith the Lord God, when I shall make thee a desolate city, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I shall bring up the deep upon thee, and great waters shall cover thee, when I shall bring thee down with them that descend into the pit with the people of old time, and shall set thee in the lower or in the low parts of the earth in places desolate of old with them that go down to the pit. That thou be not inhabited, and I shall set glory in the land of the living, I will make thee a terror, and thou shalt be no more. Though thou be sought for, yet shalt thou never be found again, saith the Lord God. For those ancient mariners and the city itself, God said their fate would be like the sea, engulfing them and swallowing them up. Something that that all those who sail the sea should have respect for the power of the seas. The Lord took a step further. He said their ultimate fate would be the pit. He kept talking about the pit. Well, The pit here is, the, is, is Sheol. Sheol. Which in the Hebrew is the abode of the dead and who have died outside. Outside of the faith of the Jewish people. Outside of the faith in the God of Israel. Nations and cities were looking to Tyre to move their goods. And even after their destruction, they were looking for them to return. But the Lord said their destruction would be complete. In verse 13, we we read that the Lord would put an end to the sound of their songs. And their harps would be heard no more. Tyre was also known for their music and musicians. But the Lord pulled the plug on them. It was the day the music died oh, okay some of you know what I'm talking about the Lord has warned us in his word of another judgment that is coming a judgment of God against the Christ rejecting world and no one will escape his wrath now You can get upset with God if you want. I I wouldn't. People say, well, why why does God have to judge? Well, God has to judge sin. Sin came into the world through the serpent of Satan, but man disobeyed God. God has said he has to deal with sin. Or else... We would not have any opportunity whatsoever to be restored. God gave opportunity for restoration. Through the death of sacrifices, God gave the opportunity. Even in the garden where he clothed Adam and Eve with the with the skins of, of animals, implying that he had to kill the animals to sacrifice and, and their blood was shed for the purpose of atoning their sin. But opportunity upon opportunity was given to all who came into this earth. And God is never gonna judge anybody unjustly. Just remember that. God knows how to keep better books than we do. In fact, books are mentioned in the end time. And I would hope and pray that you all are in the book of life. Because you've come to Jesus Christ. But nobody's going to escape his wrath. How close are we to this? Revelation 6 verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. And lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. You ever heard of blood moons? They've happened recently. And the stars of heaven fell upon the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall, on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for that great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Who shall be able to stand? If there's any passage whatsoever that tells us, listen, don't take this idea that, you know, well, we're all going to go through the time of the tribulation. No! Not one verse of scripture when you read the scriptures properly and rightly and, com- and, and 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 thread this all right will that be? The great day of his wrath has come and who shall stand? Well you know what the answer is? None can stand. When they're asking for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them because of the they see they're going to see the king. Oh, my goodness. Who wants to see that? God already made a way for us. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you will be also. Jesus knows what he's doing. Paul makes it very clear that we are to be saved from his wrath. This is wrath. And people are ignoring the warnings today, but these things will come to pass. The sad thing is that even in churches today, they're ignoring the warnings. They're ignoring the blessings as well. Although Jesus isn't going to do that, and you know. Just everybody's going to disappear and clothes are going to fall on the ground and whatnot. They mock it. I just trust what God says. And at the end of that passage in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul said, comfort one another with these words. But these things are going to come to pass. Listen. I want to close with Habakkuk 2 or Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 4. I will stand upon my watch, and set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tablets, or upon tables I should say, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Then he says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So choose you this day whom you will serve. Do you want to be the soul that is, not, that is lifted up but not upright? That has ignored the warnings of God? God told Habakkuk very clearly the end is going to happen even if it lingers just wait for it it will come it will not tarry the judgments of God will happen so the safety is not in this building the safety is in the Lord Jesus Christ the safety is in his name, as we learned this weekend. Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus, our God, is salvation, is the anointed one, and he is the one that we come to. He is our home, he is our safe place, he's, he's, he's our home plate. You get the home plate, man, you're safe. You're home now, and you're safe now in Jesus. And you walk different, and you do things different because you do them to honor him, not to be saved. If you're already saved, you don't have to do anything to honor, you know, to to be saved. You just do what you do because you're saved, and you live a new life, and you love Jesus, and you fellowship with Jesus, and you stay with Jesus and stay with Jesus, and stay with Jesus until he comes and gathers us together. Amen.